Alrighty, good morning. Good morning, Pastor Mark. So, part of my uh, passion, as well as you know, just continuing to try to grow spiritually, personally, is I have to do a lot of reading, and you can't just quite pick and choose what you're going to read. Sometimes you just People give you books, or you just come across something you got to read. Um, God puts you in a certain place in the Bible to start reading. You don't quite know why, um, but it's always uh, fun and joyful just to take that time to read. It wasn't something I was so purposeful about when I was younger. You know, adventure was more important. But uh, now I just like to get out in the woods and read. And so this week. Um, I've been reading a book that was given to me, and and uh, it was it was a blessing. Um, it was about the prodigal son, and each week I have to just kind of ask God to show me or give me a message for us for the coming week. So it's a, a constant seeking of uh, you know what we're going to be talking about on Sundays, and. As I was reading this book, it just uh, you know came to me about how we can look at stories in the Bible, and if we ask ourselves, well, how does that connect to Jesus? What you know, what can we pick up about Jesus and learn about Jesus, our relationship with Him? So this morning's message kind of comes from that, but as you'll see as we go through it. It gets um, pretty challenging because we are living in unique and challenging times. Times that um, I would dare say have never been. Uh, of course, that's what we're to expect. So this morning's message uh, is a long journey to the far country. The far country is kind of that term that's used for the prodigal son that goes out and goes out to the far country living um, a carnal life. So to get our, get our minds and hearts into the uh, setting here, imagine you decide to move somewhere far away, far away from where you're living. And actually where you're living is really, if when you think about it, it's kind of comfortable and stable, but you don't see it that way. You know, it's perspective. We don't see it that way. And at any rate, you decide to travel a long distance away thinking you will encounter a better life. Um, and as you travel for that destination, uh, that that better life, that greener grass, you're living as if tomorrow will somehow take care of itself. In other words, you're not, you're not planning um, you know, you're not figuring out where you're going to go, what you're going to do. And as I was wrestling with that thought, you know, I said, well, that sounds like me. You know, I, that's, that's what I, uh, my life started out as an adult. And, you know, we, I wouldn't say that about myself now. I mean, I might say that like the way we go on vacation. Adrian might say that anyway. <laughs> but... Um, certainly, once God gets hold of you, um, things change. And so as we go through this message, I'm hoping that not only will you see that, 
maybe you'll see it in yourself or maybe you'll see where it could become more of what you are. Um, so when we're traveling, living for the moment, and I, in, in this ministry, I run into a lot of people that are intentionally doing that. And, you know, no problem. I mean, they're, that's fine. I'll help them along their way. I want to be at least some kind of blessing for them along their journey. But when we're living like that, we're living as if um, we don't have any purpose. <laughs> uh, somebody's phone. Um, we're living as if we don't have any purpose or vision. We don't really have a destination. We're simply living for the moment. And by living for the moment, we are failing to recognize that time marches on. So when we're younger, no problem, we got plenty of time, right? And uh, as we get older, we start to realize, wow, you know, time does march on. You know, there, there is a limit to time. And we look back at uh, younger people um, back when we were their age, and, you know, we can kind of understand um, what they're thinking and what, because we used to think that way. But uh, time does march on. And in fact, we can waste a lot of time. I look at the time period of my life between uh, 16, 17 up to about 30 as a lot of wasted years. Um, God has definitely redeemed it. He can take all of those wasted years, those wasted things that you did, and redeem them for his good. And he's done that in my life. Um, but nevertheless, I ask myself, what if I hadn't wasted all those years? What if, you know, I'd lived life a little more purposeful? And we begin to realize when we get older that there's increasingly less time. So we know that the time marches on. We know that there's, you know, an end coming. And yet time is marching on. And if, if we're not thinking about our life and our purpose, time can just march right on by without you. And pretty soon, a lot of time has gone by. And because of the law of entropy, we physically age towards that moment of death. And, you know, again, as you get older, that starts to become more and more real. So, Usually when we're living for the moment, it's uh, lust-driven, not joy-directed. In other words, we can live for the moment a couple different ways. One is just pursuing the lust of life, and the other one is um, just being open and available for these divine appointments that God brings along that we can have great joy from if we're participating in them, if we're recognizing them, and... Uh, taking advantage of those. So, if you're living in, in the moment in a sin-directed life, thinking there will never be a day of accountability, you're convinced that this predicted day of accountability will never happen, right? I mean, that's the nature of living that way. And, again, when I was younger, and uh, younger people, I'm, I'm sure... They have a hard time grasping that future day of accountability. So, the Bible talks about a time 
where the day of the Lord happens. And it, it will happen. It's going to happen. Probably happen pretty soon. But none of us knows exactly when. But it will happen. And we, we kind of pacify ourselves a little bit by saying, yeah, people have been saying that for centuries. Millennium. And it's still going on. Nothing is changing. You know, this, this predicted uh, prophesied time just doesn't seem to be happening. So is it true? Is it really going to happen? Am I going to continue to believe that part of the Bible? And the question becomes, is there anything wrong with that thinking? And I say yes. I say yes. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. So that's uh, about three-fourths of the way through the New Testament. Chapter 3. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Your voice changed, Donna. <laughs> And, and this is, uh, falls under the caption of Peter saying to us, know this, first of all. Know this, first of all. So beginning with verse uh, 3. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, we're in those last days. The last days started when uh, Jesus was crucified and, and rose again. Last days started. The last days will end when the end times Start. So we're in those last days. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. What is mocking? Mocking is when you're making fun of what has been said, making fun of what people um, believe, making fun of what God has said. Mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is this promise of his coming. For since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. This is saying uh, about the mocking that they're completely uh, forgetting about not paying attention to some of the facts of the story here. And the facts are God created everything. And there was this worldwide flood. And um, there's all of these things that God has done in the past that are supposed to inform our future, our present faith. That because he did those things and he said he did them and he's looking ahead saying what he's going to do, we should believe what he's going to do based on what he's done. Uh, verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, 
as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So this is a key attribute of God, and, and we are blessed for it. He's patient. Uh, some of us require more of God's patience than others. Um, some of us have friends or family that we were praying for that took them forever, it seemed like, to come to Christ. But they did. Others still haven't. And we, we wonder, you know, how's this timing going to work out? Is this person going to come to Christ before Jesus comes and gets us or not? But we have to just trust that God's patient is working towards us. We look at all the things going on in the world and we line up the signs of things that we see happening in the world with what we see in the Bible. And we, we're questioning, wow, how can he not be coming tomorrow? You know, based on all this. But God is patient. And we have to uh, respect and acknowledge that, even though, you know, we would say, okay, God, let's, let's go for it. He's patient towards us. He's not slow. He's not inactive. He's not deaf. He's just patient. And uh, certainly... <laughs> That's an attribute that we could all take on. So what? We, we hear this. Peter's telling us this. So what should we do? What are we, what are we to expect? How should we live? So verse 10, he says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So how does a thief come? A thief sneaks in when you're not looking, you're not around, you're not paying attention. He sneaks in. And does his thieving. So the day of the Lord will come like that. In other words, it's going to come when we've given up all hope of it coming. We figured, come on, if God hasn't come already, how's he ever going to come? You know, we see all these things. He, he must, we must be reading this wrong. We must not be getting it right. But he comes like a thief, suddenly, unknown. But it won't be unknown because he's told us and that's kind of what I'm uh, driving at today is how much of this are we keeping in the forefront of our thinking or have we gotten to the point where we're a little lax about God's timing and what he's calling us to do so it will come like a thief in which now he goes on to describe how it will happen the heavens will pass away with the war and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. 11. Since all of these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So that's the question. When God tells us what's going to happen, we have to ask this question of ourselves. What, what does it mean for me now? What, what kind of person should I be? How should I be living my life? 12. Looking for war and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's that's the day of the Lord. That's what's coming. He's telling us, no, don't, don't give up hope. Don't give up 
the passion towards believing what's going to happen. Don't give up the passion that you need to be saving other people from this, um, you know, mocking and from not believing God's word, from getting caught because the thief came back before they were ready. We need to be living with a passion for Christ, for, for the people of the world that don't know him. So he's telling us, so the question becomes, what do we do now? How should we be living in the here and now? Uh, verse 14, therefore, beloved, he answers it for us, <laughs> since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him. How? What? How should we be living our life? Well, we should be living in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom God gave him, wrote to you, and he said, in all of his letters, speaking to them of, of these things, and which are some things are hard to understand. Amen. Which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. So there are things that are hard to understand in the Bible. Some things are still a mystery to us. And some things we just haven't been uh, enlightened to understand. But what should we be doing? We should be continuing to ask God, okay, God, I don't understand this. Show me. Get, you know, help me understand this. Instead of doing what false teachers do. False teachers will take these mysteries. They will claim their understanding, their um, teaching on it, and they will put it out there and make it become a very familiar passage and teaching, but it's wrong. It's wrong because... They figure, since you guys don't understand, and I'm just going to make up the answer and give it to you. So we have to keep pursuing understanding from God. Uh, 17. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you will not be carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So um, what he's saying is, you know, th these things are going to happen and we need to hang in there. Um, he's told us beforehand and we need to be careful from getting carried away by uh, all the false teaching that's going to come. He said that in, in Matthew, when he was talking to the disciples, he said, you know, there's going to be all kinds of people come along and say they've got the truth. They are the Christ. Uh, they've got the right teaching. Don't follow that. Follow me. And if it's ever been happening in history, it's happening now. You know, it, it largely facilitated <coughs> by the instant communication we have around the world. That's never been the case. There's always been false teachers. When we read in the scripture, how many false teachers there were, but they just didn't have the reach and the audience that they have now available to them. So. Let's take a moment. We've, we've talked about um, the difference between living for the moment and living with purpose a little bit. Uh, we've talked about the reality of what's coming. So between today and sometime in the near future, there's some big things going to be happening, and there's a big thing happening when that day of the Lord starts. 
So how much time is that? How much time do we have left? I don't know. We may be alive when he comes, and we may not be. But those of us that are older, we know it's a little short period of time compared to what we've had. So how should we be living? What should we be doing? What should be our purpose? What should be important to us? Well, I want to sidestep the answer to that question immediately and ask us to consider the mission of Christ, the mission of Jesus. We, we read in the prodigal son where the one son is just, you know, he wants to go out and live the good life. And so he, he talks his dad into getting his inheritance and goes out, you know, living in a, goes out to the far country and he experiences what he experiences. But what about Jesus? Jesus was a son too. And in the beginning, before creation, he's in heaven with the Father and is in full glory with the Father. And, you know, they've created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And they decide that Jesus will go to the far country, in other words, down to earth, to dwell among the humans in the same flesh that they have, um, taking on um, their weakness. And he, he begins as a, as a baby, you know, he doesn't come in uh, a fully grown adult man. He comes in as a baby, the most weakest start you can imagine for a king of kings. But it's that compassion that he has for us, that desire to want to draw us to him. And he, and he grows and matures just as humans do. And, you know, everybody knew him and they took him to be just a human because they saw him, they touched him, and, and uh, they knew he was Joseph's son. And so he had some, he's living among humans and their frailty and all of our shortcomings, his brothers and sisters. And finally, the day comes where he walks it up to the river and John, his cousin's baptizing people. And it's at that moment that John declares, you know, is the, the Lamb of God. And Jesus steps down to the water and gets baptized. Um, Jesus didn't need to be born again, but he did it because that's the example he wanted. He knew it was the right thing to do, and he was setting the future up for us. He, he's drawn out of the water. He's drawn by the spirits into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan for 40 days. He comes out of there and what does he do? Let's go to a party. So he goes to a wedding and changes the water to wine. And it's a, it's a teaching moment. It's a, it's a spiritual principle. You know, everything that Jesus did, if we read through the Gospels, we read the whole story. In fact, I would dare say if you read through one of these, you know, this point might even be more um, dramatic is everything he did was had a purpose. So if he was going to go to somebody's house, he had a purpose. He, he knew what needed to be done there. When he went out, when he said, I have to go through Samaria, you know, to get back home. He did. There's other routes to go. There's easier routes to go. But he said, I have to go. Because he knew he had to go to that well and meet that woman. And it changed the whole area. Everything he did. Goes to Mary Martha's house. He goes... Everything, every story we read had a purpose. 
So they were not random events. They all had purpose. They had vision. And he carries on this mission for three years. And along that, yeah, we noticed something interesting that he declared when he was first calling the first two disciples. He has no home to lay his head. A homeless savior? What's, what's up with this? Everything he did, he, he kept going around. And what, what is different about his mission to the far country than the prodigal son was, the prodigal son was kind of a, a lust-driven, um, pursuing the joys of life and pleasures of life rather than pursuing other people as Jesus did. Jesus pursued other people. He wanted to get to know them. He wanted them to get to know him. He wanted to show them what the Father in heaven was saying and doing. And he went about, he took the Father's inheritance. Instead of going and blowing it on himself, he used it to benefit others, to um, demonstrate his kingdom, to draw us all into it. <clears throat> so he, everything he was doing was for others. Whereas the, the wayward son was doing it just for himself. So the day comes. That day comes. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. So if you're in 2 Peter, go to the left a few books. 1 Corinthians 3. Verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is so to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of his works. If any man works, man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved as so through a fire. So there's a foundation laid, that's Christ. And we, through our ministry, through our expression of Jesus, need to build on that foundation. We don't create a new foundation, but we build on the one he already started. Because everything that we've done will be tested by fire later on. Now, as I say that, you might be remembering the last few weeks' messages, and you might be saying, well, wait a minute, what happened to Grace? What happened to, I don't have to do anything to be accepted by him? We're going to answer that. The short answer is grace, there's, there's many stages of grace. You know, there's grace under salvation, under sanctification, and grace is, is active. It's supposed to be working through us. Not Once we're saved, we just don't sit down and enjoy the rest of the day. So if you're living like there's no tomorrow... Like there's no need to pursue the things of faith, pursue life or plan. I'm sorry to say you're making a big mistake. Yeah, it sounds fun. 
no responsibility. Just get out and travel around and take what comes. And if, if you find yourself living in a sin because you think there's no day of accountability, again, you're being very short-sighted. You're being foolish. If, if we think that we can uh, tell God what the Bible really says, which is what we do often, we're the ones to be most pitied. We need to acknowledge that God is sovereign and true. We need to pursue life as Jesus commanded rather than finding the loopholes or counting on his grace to get us off the hook. I mean, don't we do that? We find the loopholes and how can I get around this one? So grace, yes, it overlooks our past um, and our future. I mean, when when we're forgiven, when we're born again, all of our future sins are already forgiven. But even in light of that, we need to not take advantage of God's grace. We need to live in a grace that is pursuing what's important to Him, not a conscious, deliberate, um, worldly way of living figuring I'm going to count on God's grace to get me out of the fire when I really need it. That's a defiance, and God has has, um, said that that doesn't please him. So forgiveness occurs when we ask for forgiveness, right? When we confess. So he says he will forgive us. He will cleanse us. It's automatic. It's not conditional. If we confess our sins, he will forgive us. If we think that we can forget about confessing our sin, forget about being accountable to God because, you know, we've been saved uh, by faith. uh, We've received the gift of eternal life. Again, we're living life foolishly. We are not doing, we're not living in the relationship that God has called us into. Um, He wants us to be aware of our sins. That's why he gives us Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit in us will say, ah, I don't think you're drifting off there. You need to, you know, get back here and say something to God about it. So it's it's an ongoing relationship, and that relationship can be hampered or cold or blunted if we are intentionally stepping out of his will, out of what he said, what he said is right and true. So forgiveness occurs when we confess. Forgiveness occurs when we ask, not in absence of it. We can't just assume, well, God sees me, God knows, he's going to forgive me. And yeah, maybe a lot of truth to that. But the point is, we if If we're saying that we have no sin, we're basically calling God a liar. So this thing about confessing is for us, not for him. Of course he sees our sin. He wants us to confess because then we're agreeing with him. That's what confessing is. We're agreeing. Oh, yeah. Lord, you said this was a sin, and I did it, and I'm sorry. Forgive me. And boom, you're forgiven. So I don't know about you, but when I show up in heaven... I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, instead of, you smell like fire and soot. You just got barely saved through the fire. 
So let's make grace beautiful. Let's live a life making grace beautiful. We've talked about what grace is and how it's working in and through our life, how great it is. But let's not ignore grace with our pride and our self-will, presuming upon grace. Grace isn't a static gift. In other words, it's not given to you and it's just held there, you know, static. No, it's an activator. Grace should set you on fire to want to live a new life and do things that um, are good for others and do things that make God happy because you're just so grateful for what he's done for you. You know, not for no other reason. So grace comes from God, is given to us to empower us to do what he's called us to do. I mean, we read the Bible, we see what God tells us to do, what Jesus tells us to do, and we think, well, that's a pretty tall ask, God. But with his grace, we can do it. And God removes the shackles that are holding you back. A lot of times, uh, we're held back from doing things uh, that we, we kind of want to do for God, but we feel like, nah, I can't do it because of this or that reason. Um, we take on the wrong identity. We, we listen to Satan's lies. We start to believe those. And we say, oh, I'm sorry, God, that's just too much to ask. I can't do that. I'm, you want me to go talk to them and say that? No, I can't do that. So there, there's things, you know, God, I mean, haven't you seen inside my head? I can't, I'm, it's not straightened out. I can't go do that. So these are obstacles that Satan is wanting to stay lodged in there to keep us from being those grace ambassadors that God wants us to be. That he's given us that which we need to do, and that is grace. So these are things like, these things that hold us back are like resentment. Ah, I can't go be grace-filled to that person. I have resentment towards them or I have resentment towards somebody else. I mean, if I do that, they're going to call me out on it. They know me. So we have resentment. I don't want to. It's like the, the brother, you know, he didn't want to share in the dad's welcoming home. He had resentment towards his brother. You know, resentment that the brother went out and wasted half the inheritance and he stayed home and did all the right things. Resentment. That's holding us back from being those grace ambassadors. But grace, if we will let our pride, our self-will, our resentment get out of the way, pow, boom, it's gone. What about guilt? Grace can take guilt away. Pow, boom, it's gone. What about unacceptance? You know, many of us feel, ah, Nobody accepts me. They don't accept me for what I'm are. You know, um, I've been told that God has some weird children, and what else does it say? <laughs> and I'm one of them. You know, um, we start to think that about ourselves, and you know, how can God use me? Well, that's gone. Boom. What about lack of hope? I mean, we're supposed to be filled with hope because. We know what the future is. We know we've already been given what our future is. We've already been given that seat in the heavenly realms. We have hope. But if you don't have hope, 
Oh, the worst to be pitied. So hope comes in <coughs> grace and with grace. What about no reason or purpose in your life? You know, you you just, oh, you're getting up every day. What am I going to do today? This is just like yesterday. This Yesterday wasn't good either. And the day before that, it was kind of boring. I don't really feel like I've got anything going on. There's nothing to do. You know, there's nothing exciting. I don't know. No hope. No purpose. Remember when you got your first job? Boy, were you excited. Going to work. All right, I got this job. I got some purpose, you know. I'm going to get a paycheck. And, and that's the way it should be with God's grace, His assignments, Him, Him saying, if you will just let me work through you, you are going to have some fun. You are going to see amazing things. And we say, oh, but I can't. I'm not qualified. I, you know, like those, when Jesus asks those guys to fo follow him, he says, oh, I can't. You know, I got this going on. I got just bought a new boat. Um, can't go. So the fact is, we know that we're new creatures. We know that no matter what, we're loved by God. Amen. So we can get those obstacles out of our way. All right, so just to kind of finish up, again, what about us? What about how we're going to live in the here and now? How are we going to apply our lives to a spiritually purposed activity in, in other people's lives? How are we going to do that? Um, God will show if we ask those questions. Um, are we attempting to live like Jesus did? Attempting to do things that he did? Just like Jesus said, I'm doing, I only do what I see the Father doing, and we should be doing only things we see Jesus doing. So we've got to read the Bible and see what Jesus did, and then be open to those times. Ask God to give us those appointments, those moments, just like Jesus had. Or are we building our own kingdom? We're so focused on our own kingdom that we can't be bothered. We don't have time for the things of God, the spiritually purposed activities. Now, this is not to say that you quit your job and sit down and just wait for something to happen. But in each and everything we do, if we're constantly talking to God and finding out where he's at in that moment, where he's directing us and how we can... Um, be a grace administrator for him in our daily life. Um, I don't like to say, Jeff, you got a job site out there, you're, you're banging nails, putting stuff up, and a neighbor comes over. There's a divine appointment. You know, you're, you're doing your job, you're providing for your family, but in the moment of that, you still have opportunities to do grace works. Uh, so no matter what we're doing in life, what we're engaged in, you know, grace should be number one. It should be what we want to see and give and do. So if you have a lot of energy, you feel like you want to get out and live life to its fullest, great. But try to live it with spiritually driven or spiritually apprised activities. Um, 
I, I've, I've said this many times, but since uh, we have a different church every few years, maybe it'll be new to you today. <laughs> but when I was young, um, in my teens, my dad was an Air Force pilot, and um, they, they had so many crazy things that they did. And they, he had this plaque on the wall that said, any good landing is one where I can uh, land on the ground and I'm hanging on to at least one blade of grass and I haven't fallen off the earth. That's a good landing. Um, that's a paraphrase of it. And so I'm going up thinking, well, to me that means I need to be as crazy as I can be all the time for everybody. And so that was, that was my life purpose, just to be crazy for no reason, just to be crazy, to, to freak people out, to take risks that only young people would even think makes sense. I mean, now I'm afraid to do those things, I admit. But you know what I did, Isaac? No, please tell me. Okay. <laughs> um, when uh, Adrian and I had young kids, our, our son and daughter were probably uh, eight or nine, you know, these uh, African churches and pastors have been asking me to come over to Africa. And I kept saying, no, 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 you know, because uh, number one, I couldn't go, but number two, even when I could go, I I don't know anybody over there. How do I do that? I mean, that's crazy. And that kind of clicked in. I said, wait a minute, that's crazy. Yeah, I should do that. <laughs> so um, the church I was going to was a Baptist church, and you know how they kind of have some rules and processes, and, well, I didn't fit in there. Um, so they weren't going to sponsor me to go, so I just went. I just bought a plane ticket, and I went. So I'm landing in Uganda in this the airport in Tebe, and this was probably in what, 2005 maybe, 2002, something like that. It was still a long time after the war in Uganda and after that kidnapping on the plane on the tarmac, and I get there, and their building still had all the bullet and bomb holes in the wall. <laughs> and I land there, and I'm looking out at that, and I say, wow, where am I? So I, I get out of the plane, and I... I walk in, you know, I, I've never gone to a foreign country. I didn't know how all this visa thing works and customs and, you know, I had all kinds of stuff. If I had to pay the customs tax that you're supposed to pay, they would have had to send me home or take all the stuff because I didn't have any money. So I get there and this, this uh, guard comes up and he says, follow me. Okay, what's going on here? He walks me around customs with all my stuff that I was bringing in to give away. Turns out, that guy was a cousin of one of the ladies I had done a website for that I was meeting outside the airport. And the crazy thing is, he wasn't on duty the day before. And the day before is when they thought I was gonna be landing. And they had everybody there to greet me. And I didn't show up, because I told them the wrong day. So the next day I come, and he's on duty. And he gets me through customs. It's just fascinating. So the crazy thing is, you know, I, I come out, and I, it's getting dark, and I'm riding in the dark. They didn't have street lights, they didn't have pavement, and I'm riding through this town with people I don't know, I have no idea where we're going. I'm going to their house, it appears. And so I get to their house, and I stay with them in their house. I don't know all these people. And throughout the whole journey there, I was there for probably a month, um, they would take me out into the jungle. I mean, 
be walking on these dirt roads out in the jungle, seeing people in little mud huts and going and sharing the gospel with them. Um, you're walking through the bushes and, and there's people just living in the midst of all this. How did, where did they come from? You know, and they just kind of pop out. And there was one time I was uh, riding on a bus and their buses are a little different than our buses. And um, I told Adrian, um, you know, you're only going to hear from me every so often because they don't have internet here like we all do at home. So I'm riding on this bus and it stops to <coughs> go across the bridge because the bus right before us went off the bridge into the river and everybody died. Wow. You know, I think I was a little inconvenienced at first until I heard that part of the story. But just on and on things would happen and so I think it's it's you know if you, if you like risk and excitement and unknown just go on a mission trip and you you will experience it um, so that's what I mean you any know. recommendations oh plenty Uganda. yeah Uganda or India <laughs> yeah um, one time I went uh, to India right after the tsunami and well, I went down to the one beach down in Chennai that you know the tsunami had come in and just completely wiped out the whole town. You saw those videos where the big wave was coming in, was pushing everything up there. So I went there, and the the pastors are walking me up and down the, the beach, and they take me and they show me these old Buddhist temples that they have and, and stuff. So we're going, and obviously I'm probably the only white guy in the sea of all these brown people, and. Uh, so we get in this little car, and all of a sudden, the car is just swamped with people. And they're reaching their hands into the window and trying to get pull me out and get money from me. And, and they just kind of took off and pulled away. It, it was insane. They had to rush me back to the car because um, some uh, Buddhists that were radical were coming after me because I figured I was probably some white money there. And so... I took that risk junkie mentality that I was using for myself and you can apply it towards doing things for God. So I just want to challenge you, you know, if something seems like it's too big for you, it might not be too big for God. And just have him do it in you and through you. Take that chance and the experiences that you'll have will be amazing. You want your life to count. The first part of my life I look at, useless. I want the second half of my life to look like, wow, you know, there was something of value there. There was things of eternal value there. Amen. Thanks for letting me share some of those stories. Let's uh, gather around and pray for one another. <laughs>